Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is dedicated in memory of Belda Lindenbaum, Bela Sarah Batzev Dov Verivka, a founding mother of Orthodox feminism, whose vision, passion and determination significantly advanced women's Torah study, ritual participation and leadership. Hello, I'm Lindsay Taylor Goodhearts, teaching fellow at London School of Jewish Studies and community educator. If you've been following this series all the way through, you can really congratulate yourself now, as we have now reached the sixth and final order, or Seder, of the Mishnah. Seder Tohorot, the Order of Purities. It contains 12 tractates on Nasach Tod, and today we'll be looking at the subject matter of the entire order and putting it in a wider context. Tohorot is a large and little studied Seder with a very obscure subject, the Torah-commanded purity system, which is both complex and largely alien to us in modern times. Most of it is not particularly relevant to us, as it is only fully operational and of concern when there is a functioning temple. Another factor contributing to its obscurity is the fact that there is no Talmud on it, except for Tractate Nida, which is the only live part of the purity system that still functions today and deals with the laws of family purity. So very few people study the other tractates of Tohorot. And in addition, the practical halachic consequences of many undecided or ambiguous rulings in this part of the Mishnah are not clear. There simply is no Talmud to do the job of deciding how to interpret the Mishnah. If you looked at a list of the 12 tractates in this order, your first reaction would probably be a combination of mystification and a feeling of, what relevance could this stuff possibly have to me? Tractate Negaim, for instance, is all about how to identify the skin disease known as tsara'at, which makes you impure. Or there's Masechet Machshirin, which deals with which liquids make food capable of becoming impure. Or the very last tractate of the Mishnah, Utzin, which is about the impurity of fruit stalks. You would be forgiven for thinking that these are not subjects that are likely to crop up in our lives today. However, we can't just ignore these Masechtod. The subject matter was clearly very important to our sages. And that is because the entire purity system is very visible and very central in the Torah, particularly in the book of Vayikra. But even though we regard purity rules as arcane and obscure, the Mishnah itself sees them as a central part of Jewish law. Why was it such a central concern? And why do we have a purity system anyway? If we use the resources of anthropology, we might be able to arrive at some idea of the work that purity systems do for the societies that use them, including, but not limited to, Jews. Let's start with thinking about classification systems in general. It is a universal human activity to organise the world around us by classifying it in a systematic way. This is exactly how children learn. First, they learn general concepts such as human or animal, as you can see from the way they use words. How many people have laughed at a child who points at a fish or a donkey and says, woof, woof? The child is being quite logical. 
if one animal says woof woof, then presumably all other animals do too. Gradually children learn more classifying rules. They realise that not all men can be labelled with the word daddy, for instance, and not all animals bark. They can break people down into groups of fathers, mothers, men, women, sisters, uncles, teachers and so on, and they can use the right words to refer to them. And they learn how to recognise and classify dogs, cats, fish, birds and elephants. A lot of our school education is about learning how to classify things. Think of chemistry, for instance, where we divide chemical compounds into organic and non-organic, and we learn about elements and different types of chemical reactions. Or what about English literature, in which we learn the difference between novels, satires, poems, epics, essays and so on? Why do we do this? Cognitive anthropologists believe that the world itself is chaotic and humans understand it through classification. In other words, we put order in the world by noticing some phenomena and ignoring others, or by grouping some aspects of the world together and excluding others. Anthropologists argue that each culture has its own system of classification that helps it to order and then manage the world around it. And usually, each culture develops elaborate systems for the things that are important to it and less elaborate ones for things that are marginal. So, for instance, the Koya people of India lump dew, fog, ice and snow under one category, represented by one word. But they have seven different words for different types of bamboo, which they use for many different purposes. From this we can deduce that if Judaism has such an elaborate purity system, it must be both important and tell us something about the way the world is organised in Jewish thought. In Tohorot, we have an example of a very elaborate classification system based on a double-sided phenomenon that concerns humans, animals and inanimate objects. And that is the twin concepts of Tahara and Tuma. Tahara is usually translated as purity and Tuma as impurity. And there are adjectives that go with these nouns. Tahor means pure and tame means impure. These two states of being are nothing to do with moral qualities, nor are they really the same as our concepts of clean and dirty. They represent states of being that alternate in human life, with most people passing out of one state into the other and then back again. Very broadly speaking, tahara is associated with life, while tuma is associated with death with missed opportunities for life and with the boundaries between life and death. I'd like to illustrate this with a quotation from the Jewish catalogue. Tuma is the result of our confrontation with our own mortality. It is the going down into darkness. Tahara is the result of our reaffirmation of our own immortality. It is the re-entry into light. Tumah is evil or frightening only when there is no further life. Otherwise, Tumah is simply part of the human cycle. To be Tameh is not wrong or bad. Often it is necessary and sometimes it is mandatory. 
And I think that's a very good description of the two categories. Another paired set of concepts that's close to and overlaps with Tahara and Tuma is that of Kedusha and Chol. The root of Kedusha, which we usually translate as holiness, means set apart, set apart for God. And Chol simply means ordinary, not set apart. You met this pairing in Tractate Chulin, in the sense of non-sacrificial meat, and much as Seder Kodeshim deals with this set of terms. They are related to the Tahor Tameh pair in an asymmetrical way. That which is included in Kedusha, or is Kadosh, must be Tahor. If it becomes Tameh, it must be taken out of the Kadosh sphere. That which is Tameh must be kept away from the Kadosh sphere. Before the temple was destroyed in the year 70 CE, it was very important to know what and who was Tahor and what and who was Tameh in connection with the temple. Anyone or anything that was Tameh couldn't be brought into the temple since it was a Kadosh place. So this whole purity system was part of people's everyday lives. They probably had to ask experts about particular cases, but they would have been aware of these two statuses, and they would have known that they couldn't go into the temple if they were Tameh. So we can expect the regulations governing the purity system to be very focused on parameters and boundaries between categories and classes. Things that straddle boundaries or that do not fit into clear categories will be Tameh, or possibly Chol, and will be kept away from areas of Kedusha, such as the temple, or indeed the Kohanim, the priests who serve in the temple and who are commanded to preserve their Tahor status. As a result, the Mishnah is very interested in this Seder about the purity system, and it asks three basic questions. First, what are the sources of Tuma? Second, how is Tuma transmitted? And third, how is Tuma removed? The individual Masechtot, or tractates, can be divided up according to these three questions. We end up with three groups, each one containing four tractates. The first group consists of the tractates that deal with the Tuma of human beings where it comes from and how it's transmitted. And these are the tractates of Ohalot, Nigaim, Nida and Zavim. The second group are tractates that deal with the Tumah of things, where it comes from and how it's transmitted. And these are the Masechtot of Kelim, Tohorot, Machshirin and Uktsin. Our third question about how Tumah can be removed, for instance by dunking in a mikveh, is covered by the third group of Masechtot. Para, mikvaot, tvul yom and yadayim. For all these tractates, you need to know something about how the purity system works. So we'll end with a very short introduction to it. There are different things that act as sources of Tumah and they can be arranged in different levels of intensity. In fact, Tractate Kelim starts off with a description of ten levels of things that are sources of Tumah. But we'll just look at the two top levels 
here. The first level shows that link of Tumma with death very clearly. Corpses are the most tame thing possible and they are referred to as Avi Avot HaTuma, literally the father of fathers of Tuma, and they constitute the most intense level of Tuma objects. The next level down has its own name, Avot HaTuma, the fathers of Tuma, and this includes people or things that have touched corpses. It includes people afflicted with tsara'at, the skin disease that isn't actually leprosy, though it's often translated by that word. These people are banished from society and are, in a sense, socially dead. Another class of avot tuma are certain dead animals, mostly creeping things, sherets, such as worms, rodents, amphibious creatures and insects. They themselves don't fit into the Torah's classification of animals. Another category of avot tuma are women who are menstruating or nida or who have just given birth. In both cases, we can see blood as the loss of a potential life in menstruation and in birth, the child itself has crossed the boundary between non-life into life and is accompanied by more blood. Yet another group in this category are men and women who have bodily discharges that transgress and cross the boundaries of the body, and they are known as zavim and zavot. Our last substance that comes under avot atuma is semen, which, like menstrual blood, is both something that crosses the boundaries of the body and also represents non-life, the failure to develop into a new life. Once a person or a thing has become tameh, they can pass this state on to other people or things in certain defined ways. And in Al Seder, the Mishnah identifies five ways of transmitting Tuma. The first is Maga, physical contact with something or someone who is Tame. The second is Midras, sitting or lying on something Tame. The third is Masa, carrying something Tame, even if it's covered or is in a container. The fourth is ahila, being under the same roof as something tame. And the fifth way is bili'a, swallowing or eating something that is tame. These terms and ideas will come up again as you meet each individual tractate, but it's useful to understand something about the whole system before you start. As for the third subject of the seder, how to remove tuma and make someone or something tahor again, we'll be looking at different rituals for doing this. They include quite simple ones, such as immersing oneself in a mikveh, but there are also very complicated ones, such as the way of removing tumor that is caused by touching a corpse, the most severe kind of tumor. This involves a whole series of rituals, starting with the preparation of special ashes from a red heifer, a para aduma. These have the unusual property of making tame things or people become tahor, and making tahor things or people become tameh. The ashes were used in purification rituals that took place over the course of a week and ended with a visit to a mikvah. As you work your way through the tractates of Seder Tohorot, remember the connection of the purity system with life and death and see whether you can work out how this comes into play in each tractate. 
I hope you have a fascinating and life-enhancing journey through the Seder and reach the goal of completing the entire Mishnah. Good luck. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah. Thank you.